My teacher came in and she's been my teacher for what, years. And she walked in the door and I said, hi, welcome. Have you ever been in before? And you know, we just had to laugh. I do incredibly like stupid things, but you know, you, you, you laugh at it. If I didn't laugh at it, I wouldn't get through it. This is TBI, Talking Brain Injury with Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, sharing stories from TBI survivors and their supporters from all across the state. My name's Phil Lindemann, a mentor with BX since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries I don't even remember, plus a bunch that I kind of sort of do remember. Today, I'm talking with Jules, a BIAC member from Lafayette, just north of Denver. For nearly five years, she has suffered debilitating memory issues from ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, also known as electroshock. If you've read or seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you've got a good idea of what she went through. Her memory might be gone, but her sense of humor and her boundless curiosity, they're both stronger than ever. We talk about books and meditation, about her friends and her teenage daughter, and try to find the best hacks for remembering names and faces when you just can't remember. Our guests are here to share stories of recovery and what has worked for them. So please contact your doctor for medical advice and the treatment that is best for you. Jules, thanks again for making time to sit down and talk with me on the uh, the brand new BIAC podcast, something new that we're trying out so that people all over the state can get to know well the other people that are members of BIAC that they just don't get to see face to face. So start first with who you are and where you live. I'm Jules Bryant and I live in Lafayette. And Jules, how long have you been living there? Um, almost, a, oh, a decade. Uh, originally from Colorado or did you move from elsewhere? Um, originally from Colorado, but out east where it's uh, very different. Where out east? Like the Hudson, Kingsburg area. An area where it took five towns to make up a class of 70. <laughs> so more Kansas than Colorado almost. Yeah. It's on yeah. the way out to Nebraska, but yeah. Okay. Humboldt, gotcha. Prairie. So uh, I'm guessing then that your graduating class was pretty small. Like, did you grow up with the same kids that you knew from like oh. first grade to graduation day? Yes. And everyone knows names. So names are a big thing. Like your last name determines your social status. So I had a buddy from, um, he was from Cheyenne Wells and that is like right, right on the border of Kansas. Like I want to say within, he said you could always spit into Kansas if you wanted to from where he lived. And and he literally meant it. Like it was not (laughs) figurative spitting distance. It was literal spitting distance into Kansas. And yeah, he had a graduating class of like 11 kids. Yeah. Yeah. Mine wasn't that bad, but yeah. Five towns, like 70, 70 kids. What was the name of the high school? Weld Central. Is it, um, is it a place that you've been back to since then really? Or did you move to Lafayette and say, man, I'll, I'll leave uh, Weld. It, I haven't been there in years uh-huh. before COVID. So Lafayette, what was it that brought you there in particular? You know, I'd only been here like a couple times as a kid before we before I bought this place, the schools. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, she's going to see you. Cool. Uh, What's she studying? Well, right now, political science, but something in the humanities. She's kind of um, doing a little work with publishing right now. So she's not quite sure, but. Cool. What kind of publishing stuff? Because that's my background, actually. I'm a newspaper journalist yeah. by trade. Yeah. So I, I did that for a decade before getting into radio, which is what I do these days. Well, she's a, a book talker. 
don't know if you've ever heard of book talk and so she's got like uh like 40,000 followers <laughs> sweet so publishers send her advanced copies of books to read and then she gets to prom- they don't tell her how to promote them or if she has to but she can and then she does have sponsorships with certain companies all right what's her what's her what's her tag get her let's get her 40,001 I'll follow her she is going to kill me she's so <laughs> private she's so private she's gonna, okay okay when she hears this i'm not gonna be talked to for a week oh no way no she's, well i'm hoping that by the time this podcast is done we've got forty thousand and fifty followers give her something to chase after yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my wife is a huge huge bookie she reads yeah. she tries to read 52 books a year. So a book a week for the most part with sometimes she takes a break, but yeah, she hammers through them. And I understand that, well, reading is one thing that you've had trouble with ever since your brain injury. What happened with reading? Um, so let me start by saying I was also a huge reader, a book a week or more, we don't a television. And then I, I couldn't concentrate enough to get through a paragraph. So I tried to read and read a paragraph and then I was just like, well, what did I just read? So it was impossible to read. And so I just gave up for a while. And then I started with newspaper articles, especially once things got crazy. And so I could, I could get through an article. I might not remember what was in it, you know, a couple of days later. Or I'd see something on the news and say, oh, yeah, I read about that. But since that was all I could read, I had like, I think I had four or five different subscriptions. And then I worked this, probably this past year, I worked my way up to nonfiction, which is easier, I guess, depends on the genre. But it's easier to read because I can read a couple paragraphs. And if I forget what was in them, it's not such a big deal. Like. You can't do that with fiction, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I also underline and highlight, and then I can go back through. As far as fiction, I'm working on that. Uh, a couple books I've been able to get through because they're, let's say, like a, a movie adaptation. So I can watch the movie and, and read the book. But for the most part right now, I'm sticking to, uh, to nonfiction. Did somebody suggest that? To you uh, like if no. you wanted to get back into reading start you know progress your way through it no i just um i mean i've done a lot of cognitive therapy but i just did that on my own just kind of made sense yeah to, yeah start with the news bites the inverted pyramid the, the stuff that's easy to keep track of and then move to the nonfiction, and then hopefully get you back to following and yeah right now i'm reading a book and i think about i guess i don't have a great concept of time anymore but it was my first nonfiction book back and I got it from the library and I think I had late finds on it. it. Took me so long to read. And my daughter bought it for me for Mother's Day and I've had it, you know, whenever that was, a week or two, you know, three fourths of the way through it. So my speed has dramatically increased. I'll have it done, you know, probably in two weeks rather than, you know, nine weeks or however long I hoarded. Yeah. What, what's the book? It's called Ordinary Wonder uh, by Charlotte Joko Beck. What sticks out in your mind about it right now? Like, as you're thinking about it? Um, I mean, it's just, 
it's impressive that I I didn't realize that I'd come quite that far. Cool. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that you are slowly making those moves because, yeah. like to me, yeah, it just makes intuitive sense that if you you know you lose you lose the ability to keep track of plot, character, all the big things that make you know novels enjoyable then you go right back to the basics and start with the snack food of reading like newspaper articles. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go to the snack food before you get to the uh, five course gourmet meal that right. you want to get back to. Yeah. Uh, but you've also done lots of reading like, Oh, I was looking through, you sent me a list of books that you've been checking out. Um, Bittersweet by Susan Cain. Yeah. Um, That's probably the book of the month. So my daughter got that. She's, part of that book of the month club. All right. Her sponsorship. So one that I wanted to ask you about is, um, you said one that you always fall back on or one that you come back to is when things fall apart. Yes. Um, and I'm going to butcher her name, Pema Chodron. Uh, Pema Chodron. Pema Chodron. Um, what is that one? I never heard of that one. So it's a Buddhist book, but it, it doesn't, it's fairly secular. It was wrote in the nineties, but it's still probably one of the most popular Buddhist books ever wrote. And, uh, it's, it's a really great book to help you get through hard times. And it's not a book that's like really sunshine and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You you know, you need to do the things that scare you. You need to go to the places that hurt that kind of thing uh, you got to give up like it, like from her perspective it's like okay before anything can get better you got to give up hope like hope's got to go out the window okay you got to kind of surrender and just your path is where you're at right now it's not a year down the road that's the path all right but but steeped in buddhist philosophy like the um using that as kind of the anchor to hold it all hold it all down right I mean, Buddhism's very, that's, it's very large. So mm-hmm. I mean, she's coming from a Tibetan perspective, be pretty different from like Zen, even though a lot of same, you know, mindfulness being in the present moment. I, I personally don't know too much about uh, Buddhism or Buddhist philosophy, but I'm trying to learn a little bit more because uh, um, Taoism was the, was the philosophy that I really really enjoyed, you know, even as a, a college kid, I think that's when I was first introduced to it and fell into like the Tao Te Ching of Lao Tzu. Um, and that was a great book just because uh, I've always been, a, I've always enjoyed reading and I love the way it's written. It's very poetic, um, very straightforward. And, you know, like, like most poems, you can read three lines and spend the next six weeks trying to figure out what it is they're trying right. to tell you, but you know, that they relate to you. You're just trying to figure out exactly how and sometimes buddhism feels the same way but i've been reading a book it's from the 50s so it's even older but it's looking at uh oh i can't remember off the top of my head the author but it was a uh, british scholar of chinese um philosophy and religion who was talking about um oh going all the way back to confucius up to Mao Zedong. And so looking at thousands of years of Chinese philosophy and how it influenced their culture and the tagline, of course, since it was from the fifties was how did this ancient culture turn communist? (laughs) Yeah, right. 
And so it's fascinating to read, you know, something from back then when everybody was so, 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 so nervous about, uh, you know, Chinese society turning communist compared to, you know, what it is now after, you know, 70 years of China being communist. It's, it's a fascinating book, but it's, uh, it's definitely a bit of a relic when it comes to the last 50 years that he talks about from, you know, like 1900 to 1955 or whatever. It's, uh, lots changed since then. Yep, my penchant for forgetting names, places, and other proper nouns strikes again. The name of that book is Chinese Thought from Confucius to Mao Zedong, written by Harley G. Creel. He was a professor at University of Chicago for about 40 years. Again, that's Chinese Thought from Confucius to Mao Zedong. I really do recommend it. It's a good book, even if it is a little dated. I know when I was when I was getting back to reading too, the um, I f- was first reading a lot of Thich Nhat Han, who's also well, he he just passed away, but he's a Buddhist writer and he pretty much brought the concept of mindfulness to the United States. Mm-hmm. And he writes very simply, and even though he's wrote I don't know a hundred, literally probably like a hundred books, they all kind of say the same thing, right? Uh huh. Recycling the same thing, and he's also a poet, and so that was a really good way for me to get back into reading. So I was just kind of reading the same thing over and over. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're getting back into reading because yeah. that's one thing that I I mean, yeah, I would be I would be totally lost without being able to fall back into reading some way somehow. Which brings me to well, tell me a little bit about your brain injury? So initially, well, just starting with neurological issues, you know, uh, once again, time is not something that I'm great with at this point, but at some point, maybe five years ago, I was um, initially diagnosed with um, uh, Parkinsonism, but it had pretty much, uh, for the most part, I wasn't having many symptoms. And then I'm bipolar and I started doing ECT and this was actually, I just found out four and a half years ago, last week was my four and a half years anniversary from my first treatment. Okay. So over 18 months, I had 50 bilateral treatments and the Parkinson's also became dramatically worse. I'm, I'm still functioning okay as far as the Parkinson's goes, but yeah, um, awful, really, really awful. Wow. And, and ECT, that's electroconvulsive. Yeah. Yeah. Shock treatment, like cuckoo's next. I had to look it up just to make sure I was thinking of the right thing. And yeah, just about everything I looked up, that is one of the first things they say is that, you know, that's what everybody thinks of when they think of ECT. And it just... Didn't work for you. Caused more damage than good. Oh my God. Unbelievable. So I've been, so with, yeah, neurologically, I, I went downhill very bad. I also had a cardiac event and almost mm. died um, under anesthesia, but my cognitive ability had suffered to the point where they're like, we need to get you into neuropsych. And so it took about six months and I was diagnosed with major neurocognitive disorder Mm-hmm. Which is like another word they're now using for dementia. Okay. And so it's been, like you said, four and a half years since those treatments started and things were, well, things were difficult before then made even more difficult by the ECT. 
Um, but let's get back to when things fall apart. Like you said, you got to think about where you are right now, when you're, where you are right now, what is it that you're doing to well overcome just just the trauma that you went through while trying to treat yourself? Yeah, that's been a really, really hard road. Um, because I lost 80% of my long-term memory. So Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of memories of my daughter growing up. Uh, it was grief every day I'd look at a picture and I would feel like I, like there was a death every day, probably 15 minutes didn't go by that. I wasn't thinking about that memory loss and not just what I lost, but what I don't know. Like I've learned since then things happened that I did not realize happened. So I've been working really, really hard on accepting that. And also there's just, you know, learning to live day to day with the cognitive issues. I think I spent nine months twice a week in cognitive therapy and took a break and now I'm back just trying to learn strategies um, because I'm not allowed to cook alone. I'm not allowed to dole out my own medications. Um, I have a lot of restrictions. Learning to, um, it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot of work to to accept that I am not the same person I was four and a half years ago. Hmm. And one thing I've always talked with anybody I've met through BIAC or honestly anybody who's willing to listen is the, the invisible injury. The, the stuff that people don't see can sometimes be the absolute toughest of having a brain injury. Like you said, coming to terms with the things that nobody else can look at you and see that you've lost it. You know, it's, it's, if we were able to open up your head and see <laughs> what was lost inside, it might make a little bit more sense to people. Yeah. I, uh, so I have both. So I walk with a cane Mm -hmm. so people can see that now I, I volunteer at a meditation center and I took on like, so I have like, I don't recognize faces. It takes me a very, very long time to, uh, recognize most people's faces and names are, you know, so Jules, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. Not great. So what do I do? I take on the volunteer position as the front desk worker, checking people in. So I just learned that I just tell people I have cognitive issues. I have cognitive impairment. I don't know. Cause I have to ask, you know, what's your name? Have you mm-hmm. been here before? Um, and it's fairly small. So it's like I could blame it on the fact there's a hundred people there because it's not. And people, I've never once had anyone say anything negative. They're just like, okay, great. And they'll come in and they'll be like, hey, I'm such and such. It's such a good environment to be in. People that will understand it without needing the big, long explanation, without needing to read, you know, every last thing about what happened to you. People that can just kind of accept you for well, who you are and understand that you're there because you want to be there. And I mean, I've had, sorry, I've had to learn to laugh at myself, Mm -hmm. which I I was always pretty good at because I'm a, I'm a wreck, but you know, my, for example, my teacher came in and she's been my teacher for what years and she walked in the door and I said, hi, welcome. Have you ever been in before? And everyone was like gathered around and heard, and you know, we just had to laugh and not just laugh, but I brought the story up, you know 
many times. You know, that's how I get through yeah. it. Like, I do incredibly like stupid things, but you know, you, you, you laugh at it. it. It's funny. If I didn't laugh at it, I wouldn't get through it. And what's that thing they say about uh, laughter being the best medicine? Clichés are cliché for a reason because uh, they're they're true. They hold true. Like you, you got to laugh sometimes. Right. Definitely. Um, what what are some tactics that you've learned to like you know maybe hold on to those faces, those names, or you know are there any things that you've done to you know make it a little easier to recall? You know, faces not so you know not so much. I, um... Names, I try and do associations, which I'm not great at, mm-hmm. but I do, I do try to associate maybe this person, I know another person with this name, so I'll, I'll do my best, but yeah, not, still not great with the names and faces. Take yeah. I, I, well, and I'm right there with you, Jules, because one of my side effects, I, I am not uh, as severe as you have it, but um, yeah, I am the sort of person you got to introduce yourself to me five, six, seven times, and then I'll probably hopefully remember it. I've tried the association thing too, and it, it doesn't always work the best for me. Um, what I've found usually works the best is um, face-to-face repeating the name and then hopefully spending longer than just five minutes with somebody. Cause that's what really gets me in is that, you know, if I meet somebody for five minutes, like, you know, say it's even somebody, um, Oh, a friend of a friend who's introduced and then they disappear and I could see him an hour later and there goes the face, there goes the name. They look like somebody new. I reintroduce myself all over again. Uh huh. So I don't know. I, I I'm hoping to find a better tactic, but in the meantime, I think humor is probably the best tactic yeah. you can have. I think it definitely works better than initially I would do things, um, you know, because of my memory, my long-term memory impairment, people would come up and they'd say, oh, remember that time? And they'd be laughing and I would just laugh and go along with it. That was very painful. So just, you know, having humor about it and saying, you know what, I don't, I don't remember that time. <laughs> yeah. And mine has been like, I'm sorry. I don't remember you from last time, but we're going to have a great time today. Right. Yeah, <laughs> or, exactly. you know, let's, let's make a new memory. See if this one sticks and just kind of like, you know, yeah, laugh at it, have some fun with it. And yeah, well, I mean, I hope you and I can both find some, some tactic that helps work a little bit, but one thing that I have found that actually helps, I don't know. Sometimes when I feel, you know, a little anxious about the fact that I've, lost some of these memories or people or whatever is I live in the mountains because I live spending time outside. Sometimes being solo is, you know, one of the best medicines I have for myself. Tell me about meditation and where you prefer to do it. Do you like to be inside or do you like to like get out? I mean, I know that you've done some hiking and yes. Yeah. Um, Both inside yeah in the morning when I wake up and before bed but also you know living in Lafayette I have a trail five minutes from my house I like to go down I like to as long as the weather's nice I'm out on the trail every day and it's quiet and there's a creek and I can just go right down by the creek and I can read or I'm trying to learn to journal again or meditate I could personally use some tips on meditation what are some great, what's the best way to get into it and not just feel like here I am sitting here? <laughs> um, so meditation is a lot of work actually. Okay. It is a lot of work and it can be annoying. It's not always fun, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to, 
I'm having a hard time describing, get to getting my words out. But uh, yeah, it takes a while. And even after you've done it a while, it's not bliss all the time. You can have moments, but it's an amazing thing to, uh, I don't know, you just learn so much about your mind. Mm-hmm. I think, Jules, you just gave me the best advice I could ever get from somebody about meditation. It's work. It's yeah. not just, you, you, don't, you don't just sit and expect the world to come to you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's work. It's kind of okay. like yoga when you're done. It feels amazing, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not always fun. <laughs> right. Sometimes in the middle of it, you're like, I'm over it. Right, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> this hurts. My hammy's hurt today. I don't want any more of this. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you know, yoga has probably been my uh, my my best form of meditation over time because I like to stay active. Uh, one great thing about yoga, I never really got into it until after my brain injury, um, because I also had a, a broken arm, broke a leg, bashed my head all at the same time, and so I was like, I'm not going to lose, you know. If, if I can't remember somebody's face or name, I'm not going to at least lose the ability, to like you know run after him or catch up to him or walk up to him or whatever. And so yoga became my thing that I started doing for my entire life, right up, you know, all the way until I was 24 years old, I couldn't touch my toes. Mm -hmm. These days I can go full hands down on the ground, pressing my palms into the ground with straight legs, straight arms. And I'll say it's all because of yoga. I swear it, uh, I've never been able to do that before. So I, um, I'm, I'm very happy with what I've been able to gain, at least, uh, you know, physically from yoga and s- still working on the, the mental side of it all for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at the point right now where I'm chair yoga, hopefully, you know, things like balance will improve, but you know, even chair, at first I felt silly, but you know, chair yoga can be pretty cool actually. Yeah. I'll bet. I'll bet. I mean, it's still moving. It's still getting yeah. some movement in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And plus you get to skip out on all the really obnoxious, difficult stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's more, it definitely feels good. It's a, yeah. (laughs) Good, good. Um, Well, before we wrap things up, Jules, uh, my my last question for you was, um, you know, advice for maybe folks who are, who are new to brain injury, you know, maybe recently started either treating theirs or just had theirs, you know, maybe they've been living with it for a decade or just, just had it. What have you found through brain injury Alliance that you've really enjoyed? I'm telling you, BIAC has changed my life, especially starting it right. The very first class they offered after COVID, I went to that class and I take, I don't know, five classes a month or not Mm -hmm. more than that, but I, I, take I take advantage of quite a few of their classes, their meetups, camping, and I have made more friends through BIAC than anywhere else. I have a huge friend group and we get together and like we went hiking all fall because we understand each other. You know, there's never a need to explain yourself. There's never a need to say it's too loud in here or I don't have my words. Maybe I'm you know, not having the best emotional regulation today. Yeah. Yeah. So it has been, it's been, especially after being cooped up for a couple of years. Yeah. They offer great classes, great recreational programs, great way to meet people. And it's free. I mean, some of the recreational programs cost money, but I mean, you can't beat free classes. No, can't be free anything. 
(laughs) There's no such thing as a free lunch, but there is free brain injury support out there. That's for sure. And I go to things I'm terrible at. I go to, I'm terrible at art, but I take an art class and poetry and go and make a fool of myself. And it's great. I love it. <laughs> and laugh and have some fun with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not all the classes are fun, you know, like the sport groups, but they're still great. And I'll also add that I am part of the, my first mentee mm-hmm. and she has been as healing for me as I have for her. I mean... It has been just amazing. Very cool. How, how long have you? How long have you two uh, known each other? Uh, now? A couple months. It's been gr- very. I, yeah, healing would be a good word. I think. I think we're both really helping each other. If you have a story of survival, or you know someone who does, I want to hear from you. Reach out to Zach or any of the BIAC professionals, and they will put you in touch with me. Again, it's Phil Lindemann, your host, here on TBI, Talking Brain Injury, from Brain Injury Alliance, Colorado. 